Let's just get this out of the way right up front. On the count of three, everybody say, ow. Ready? One, two, three. Good, because you're all going to get convicted today. Me too. I'm preaching. I'm already, I'm, I'm, I've been convicted getting ready for it. So, um, you know, we're doing this series called Born Again. Um, if you haven't been here, it's been a couple of weeks. We've had a couple of weeks away from the series. But if you haven't been here for it, let me just explain to you what we're doing. God really put it on our heart to take the summer and do a summer series called Born Again. And so we are talking about marks, like what does it mean to be born again and, and what does our life look like when we're born again? I know that I'm the king of driving an illustration into the ground to death. Can I get an amen? You didn't have to be quite as agreeable, but thank you so much for your participation. So the illustration that we're using, and it's a good one, is like if we were, if I was, I was born in southern America. I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, Rocky Top. You'll always be. Okay, so a few of you knew it. That's great. Good old Rocky. Anyway, so I was born there, and because I was born in the South, there are things that have marked my life, like SEC football, right? And now also ACC, because I live here, and that'd be ACC basketball. Like, just things. I, I talk Southern. Like, if I was a brain surgeon, it would scare you if I was talking to you before, like, what we're going to do here is, right? You don't want to hear that. But I'm that way because of where I was born. You, you got me? So what we've said is, now imagine if I could be born physically in somewhere like India. Would my life look different? Absolutely. I would eat different food. We even talked about their chicken and rice. Like the same food in India is different than the same food here. Like Wendy's chicken and rice is like, oh, that's so good. And then that chicken and rice, if they're watching, was it was good. It's just a different good, Right. A very, very different good. So we, we just said, like, that's how I want you to think about born again. The Bible says that when we repent of our sins, and we do have sin, and we need to repent of it, and that when we repent of our sins and we receive what Jesus did for us in our place on the cross, the Bible says, I didn't make up the phrase, neither did the fundamentalist evangelical right wing of the conservative party people. Jesus is the one that said, you must be born again. Not a Republican saying, right? Not a middle class saying. It's a Jesus thing. He said, you must be born again. And when we're born again, the Bible says that we've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Translation, you were born in Knoxville, Tennessee, Southern America, and now you've been born in India. Will our lives look different if we were in darkness and now that we're in light? Will it look different? It should. And I think what we're finding is sometimes it doesn't. But these things we're talking about this summer are marks of a born-again life. We, we talked about baptism. Oh, God, last week was so fun, y'all. Nine people get baptized last week. Seven planned, right? It was awesome. Like, I love it. Like, two people were just like, yeah, let's do it right now. I love that, right? That's people that are marking their lives with something that Jesus said, if you're born again, you'll say yes to baptism. It doesn't save us, but it definitely reveals to people that we've been saved. We talked about um, Christian fellowship, friendships, right? We've, we've just, I want to remind you this, I'll say this verse at the end as well, but John 13, 17, um, we believe in this verse so strongly that someday when we have note sheets again, because I know like we're 
still figuring out when we can give you stuff that you can touch. But our note sheets on the back have John 13, 17 written at the top. And it says clearly, Jesus speaking, says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Man, come on, the church in America, we are the best at learning and not doing. But Jesus said the blessing comes from doing. Simple obedience leads to supernatural outcomes. And so I want to ask you a couple questions Um, because we're going to talk about the Bible this morning. And I know a lot of Bible smart people who are anything but blessed because they've never done anything with with what they learned. One of my favorite stories is from A.W. Tozer. Y'all ever heard of him? When he was pastoring, and if you've ever read his books, can you imagine him as your pastor? But when he was pastoring, he preached the same sermon a couple weeks in a row. He'd done it, I think, for like three or four weeks in a row. And so finally on that third or fourth week, an older lady was leaving the church, and he was at the back and shaking people's hands. And she was like, "Um, Pastor, that that was a great message. Um, You've preached it three or four weeks in a row now. And he, he just said, well, when y'all start living it, I'll move on. Yikes, right? She was a sweet old lady, too. I mean, come on. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like, my point here is not to help you take notes. My point is to help you take action, to do something. So when we talk about being born again, we should think, am I born again? When we talk about baptism, our next step should be, have I been baptized? We talk about Christian fellowship. We talk about how bad company corrupts good morals. Our next step should be, am I hanging out with people who encourage me to love Jesus more? Or who are trying to pull me down off that chair, that little chair illustration. That was so fun for me. So this morning as we start talking about the Bible, the reason why I say all of us say, ow, we're all going to be convicted is because of the stats. Like, the people in church, like, I don't know how many people we have in here, but do you know that according to people that do these kind of studies like Barna, Pew Research, 25% of church members read their Bible on a regular basis. One out of four. On the national level, can we have that? Russ, can you throw that picture up that I sent? Is it, if you, there you go. This is, this is not church people, right? So this is like all of the adults in America. Four, 5% are considered Bible-centered, meaning that the Bible actually informs decisions that I make. And almost 50% of our country is completely disengaged from the Bible. So what I know is this. I'm teaching a room full of people who this is not to question your love for Jesus, but 100% our devotion to the Word is going to feel questioned today because one out of four of you are biblically engaged and three out of four of you aren't, according to statistics. So let's just answer a couple questions um, about the Bible. So here's the first question. What makes the Bible so special? This is a lot of teaching, so just take notes as you want to. Um, One reason why the Bible is special is because the Bible is reliable. Um, There's not a lot of Old Testament manuscripts. 
And so some people have said, well, there's not a lot of Old Testament manuscripts, so that means the Bible is not reliable. Actually, it's the inverse. The fact that there are not a lot of Old Testament manuscripts is proof that the Bible is reliable because the way that they would handle manuscripts was as they aged, they would intentionally destroy the manuscripts because they didn't want people to not be able to make out a word or a letter because of a smudge or it was fading or whatever. And so they would intentionally make sure they had a good copy and then burn the old copies. The lack of those Old Testament manuscripts points to the reliability of Scripture. The method of how that they would copy the manuscripts makes it reliable. How many of you have to ever copy stuff in your job? I don't mean like with a copier, like butt prints. I mean like, like literally like you have to like look at something, type it, look at something, type it. So the way most of us do that is phrase by phrase. Do you know what I'm saying? Like John jumped over the candle. John jumped over the candle. And we go back and forth like that. If you really want to be accurate, you might go word for word, right? But when they were copying manuscripts of the Bible, they went letter by letter. They they were so serious about it that when they got to the very end, they knew how many characters would have to be in the new the new manuscript if it was going to match the old manuscript. And if they had done all the work and counted and got two different numbers, they destroyed what they had just done and started over. It was a very careful, tedious process. And that makes it reliable because you're not going to make as many mistakes that way, right? So the fact that it's reliable makes the Bible special. Um, the Bible's special because it's unique. I will say it's unique in its circulation. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a, a, a publishing house that had to publish a, a three Bibles every second to keep up with demand. I would love to write a book and be a bestseller like that. Wouldn't that be awesome? How much money could we have, right? Three a second to keep up with demand. It's unique in its circulation. It's still one of the best-selling books, if not the best-selling book that we have. It's unique in its survival. There's not a single book that's been attacked more than the Bible. It's unique in its continuity. Um, So, okay, this is crowd participation time. So let me just set the stage because some of y'all are having a panic attack right now. I I only want a certain type of people. So I need extroverts. So if you're an introvert, you're out, okay? I'm not going to make an introvert sit up on this platform. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do, and then you can come, you can volunteer. And if you're really an introvert, I mean an extrovert, you're already volunteering. You're just waiting on me to say raise your hand. So I just need three extroverts, Three, just three extroverts. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to come up on the platform. You're going to sit together on this platform in these chairs. And um, I've given you, you're going to write something for me. And I've given you a book to lean on. And that book's yours when you're done. Okay? So if you are an extrovert and you're looking for something to read, then you qualify. Um, Full disclosure, when you do illustrations, sometimes they're fantastic and sometimes they just blow up in your face. We'll see what happens, right? But it's going to be fun either way. So do I have three extra? There's one. Come on. Come on. I need one more. Just one more. Oh, come on, Blake. Come on. Give these three extroverts a big hand. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so Blake has gotten the circle maker. Do you have that book? You do now. And you have In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. Have you ever read that book? 
Man, you're going to love it. Have you read that book? You've, you've read The Blessed Life. Okay, we'll get you another book. So uh, now, thank you for volunteering. Um, you give yourself some room if you need to because I don't want anybody cheating. No cheating allowed. Um, we're going to put a timer up on the screen if we can. Don't start it yet. Just go ahead and get it ready. And what I'm going to ask you to do, you have one minute, only one minute. How many minutes? One minute. They were listening, were y'all? One minute to write about anything you want. Okay, can we get the timer ready? One minute to write about anything you want. It's going to start in two, one. Your time starts now. Anybody want to hum the Jeopardy theme song while we're waiting? I don't, I don't even know. Sweet Home Alabama. I'll just get some water. That sounds so good. You should keep doing it. About anything you want, anything at all, just write. I never thought a minute was so long. Did you? It's, we're halfway there. You're doing great. Hopefully we can read it. 20 seconds left. Start getting those last words in. 15 seconds. Are y'all going to count it down? We need some energy in the room. You want to count it down? Can we do that? 10? Go. All right, pins down, y'all. Pins down. Okay, so now, because you're extroverted, you don't mind holding the mic, do you? You don't do. I, <laughs> I know y'all don't. <laughs> so I'm going to have you just read to us what you wrote. Um, I, we'll start down here. We'll let Mike go first. Here we go. Are you, you good with that? Yeah, you don't have a choice. <laughs> this morning, as I uh, was having some time with Jesus, he was showing me that I am not where I need to be with him. Life is great. We get to have friends in this life, and we get to have love in this life and happiness. We get to have family and peace with our Lord and Savior, our God. Extrovert, right? Yeah. God is loving and caring. He cares for everyone, even if you're a sinner. All right, give our three extroverted writers a big round of applause as they go back to their seats. Thank you so much. Good job. Now, the Bible is, is unique and it's special because of its continuity. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. So, we just had three people sit within four or five feet of each other and write in the same room for one minute. Now, I, it'd be crazy to say that there wasn't some similarity because I think all of them mentioned God, didn't they? So, there's some similarity, but... We had, like, personal quiet time kind of a devotion, and then we had, like, you know, optimist glasses half full stuff, and then we had evangelists, y'all need to get right with Jesus, because, right? So, very different perspectives, and, and not necessarily all exactly the same. My point here is this. People in the same room, and if we had given them longer than a minute to write about anything they wanted to, at some point, they would have started writing about things that were different from one another. Do you see what I'm saying? But the Bible 
written by 40-plus people on three continents in three languages over a period of 1,600 years. And all of it flows together seamlessly as one story. It's unique. It's special just because of that. It's the most unique book we know just because of that. But that doesn't necessarily answer our second question, right? And the second question is this. What makes the Bible so important? We know that it's special. We know that it's reliable. It's unique. But, but why is the Bible so important? And here's the answer. It's so hard to understand. Are you ready for it? It's God's Word. That's why it's important. Because the Bible is God's Word. As a matter of fact, the reason why over 40 people could write over 1,600 years on three continents in three languages and have it all go together in one seamless book is because it doesn't have 40 plus authors. It has one. His name is God. It's his word. He spoke it. It was written by God. Here's three statements about the Bible because it's his word. Take notes. These are going to be good. Here's the first one. It's written by God through men. A couple verses for you. 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 says this, all Scripture, how much Scripture? All. Not, not just the parts I like, the translations I enjoy, all, right? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The, it's the Word of God from the breath of God. There's only two things that have God's breath. His word and your soul. That's it. How valuable are you? I'm, like some of y'all are like, I, I think I'm supposed to be humble, but I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> right? You're valuable, right? I mean, how many times have you read Psalm 139? You're like, hey, man, God formed me in, in my mother's womb. He knit me together. He breathed his breath into us. We are valuable because we carry the breath of God. Well, if we see ourselves as valuable, then we should see the word of God as valuable. Because the word is also, what did we just read? God breathed. It's written by God through men. 2 Peter 3.16. I, I love what Peter says about Paul. He says, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I love that, don't you? Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. He calls what Paul wrote scriptures. He equates what Paul wrote with other scriptures because it's God's word. I love that Peter said what still happens today, that Paul's letters contain things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort to their own destruction. We still do that today. We find a part of the Bible that we don't quite understand, and we try to figure out how to make it work. And sometimes we fall victim to that. We distort it. Instead of just simply saying, God, this is your word written by you through men. John chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, Jesus calls the law scripture. He answered the people and said, is it not written in your law that I have said you were God's? 
If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside. What Jesus is saying is, I'm telling you, your law is scripture. I just want you to see that the Bible is not a book written by a bunch of men. It's written by God through men. It's protected by God from men. We talked about this before, how unique it is in its survival. Many have tried to destroy it. And yet they are dead and the people isn't. Do you know that there was one ruler who tried to get rid of the Bible? And within 40 years, that ruler was dead and his house was used to publish Bibles. God protects his word from people. And why is that? It's because a supernatural God is watching over his supernatural word. Now, I know that some people don't feel like their word is their bond, to quote from Hook, right? My word is my bond. But if you believe that your word is your bond, then if you say something, will you not also make sure that what you said happens? How much more does God do that? Jeremiah 1.12 says that God is watching over his word to perform it. He spoke it and he watches over it to make sure that it does what he asks it to do. The book is, it prophesies about God to men. There are prophecies in the Bible that set it apart from other holy books. There is, in the Koran, there is not one single prophecy about a man who would come named Muhammad. But in the Bible, there are hundreds of prophecies about a man who would come named Jesus. We, we talk a lot about the odds of one man fulfilling eight prophecies. Just eight. There's hundreds. Jesus fulfilled them all. But Lee Strobel, he, he takes this illustration. He's like, how, how, does it, how, much, how can we visualize what it would look like for one man to just accomplish eight of those prophecies? And he said, you take, um, if, how many of y'all like to tile your homes? And I go down to Lowe's and buy tile. If you get white tile, a, an inch and a quarter in that, in like, was that a square inch? Is that how you do it? It's an inch and a quarter wide and an inch and a quarter in both directions. So you take those sized tiles and cover the entire earth with those tiles. Make sure every part of water, every part of land, everything's covered. All you can see is just white tile. Put a red X on the bottom of one of those tiles and let one man walk the entire globe for his entire life and tell him he can bend down one time and pick up one tile. The likelihood that he would pick up the tile that you had marked with an X out of the whole globe. It's the same likelihood that one man could fulfill eight of the prophecies. Jesus fulfilled hundreds. Why is that? It's because there's a God who spoke in the Bible his word, and then he watched over that word to see that it was fulfilled. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 says this, But know this, first of all, Peter writes, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Can I give you your big idea about the Bible? The Bible is the story of God about the Son of God told by the Spirit of God. That's what we hold in our hands, y'all, whether it's in print or on your phone. We hold the story of God about the Son of God that was told by the Spirit of God. 
And you know what the saddest part of that is? That statement about the Bible does not guarantee that it will even be read by the people of God. And that, how does that grieve God? When we can literally take his very word and set it aside, maybe look at it if we think we feel like reading it, maybe engage with a verse a day. Many people assume that the point of the Bible is to love it. So you might be thinking, like, this is the part where Paul's going to tell me I need to fall in love with the Bible. And I wish that you would, right? But a lot of days I wish I would. But the point of the Bible is not to love it. The point of the Bible is to learn it and to live it. And sometimes as we learn it and as we live it, we do begin to love it. But what I found in my life is there's a lot of parts of the Bible I still don't really love. But I'm called to learn it and to live it. I know a ton of people who simply want to learn it. They don't want to live it. Again, in John 13, 17, right? Jesus said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So all the one another's verses in the New Testament, be like, can you imagine? I mean, Allison, you're a really nice person. So, like, you know, I could know about you, and that's cool and all. But, like, if I had to actually, like, do life with Allison, whew, like, I would need to have patience. Can I get an amen? Come on. Like, and she would just drive me nuts probably. Like, and I would drive her nuts. And it's like, have you noticed, like, when you're at a distance, it's one thing. But when you read verses in the Bible about serving one another, praying for one another, have you ever tried to live those verses out and realize how much that one another other person drives you nuts? The point of the Bible is to learn it. So I learned the verse that says I should love one another, I should serve one another. So I begin to serve other people. And as I begin to serve them, as I begin to live it out, that's what causes the growth in the Christian. You and I are not strong Christians because we can pronounce doctrinal words that have seven syllables. And those words are really important. And we should know them, but we should do them. Right? So my call this morning, I, I don't even want to preach in such a way that would make you fall in love with the Bible. I, I just want to encourage you that the Bible is unique enough that we probably shouldn't leave it on the shelf and it's God's word, so we probably shouldn't leave it in our back pocket. We should probably pull it out. And maybe the next time we're standing in line at the DMV, instead of scrolling Twitter, maybe we just open up version. We start to take in the word of God because the Bible's able to make us effective for the, the life we're called to live. So here's how we're going to close out this message. I need you to close your eyes because I'm going to give you some space to possibly, probably, most likely repent. Because if you're like me, as I was preparing this message, and I, I want to live a life that engages with the Word of God. D.L. Moody, really famous preacher, one of, his, one of his most famous quotes, 
that gets attributed to him all the time is that the Bible will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from the Bible. And I want to call you back to the Word of God. It is a mark of the born-again life. Just to make sure that I'm clear. If we say yes to Jesus and never engage with his word, then we are like the, the man or the woman who said, I do at the altar and never speaks to their spouse. That's not a relationship. And what God's looking for today is for his children to re-engage with his word. The great news is that we live in a culture and in a time when there are so many possible ways to engage with his word. Which is why this statement is true, and then I'm going to pray. With so many tools at our disposal, not engaging with the Bible is a statement about our desire, not about our ability. You version, so many translations of the Bible that we can understand. There are so many ways to engage with God's Word that if we're not engaging with His Word, and I'll even say on a daily basis, it's not because we can't, it's because we won't. And so, Father, just as we bring this to a close here in the room and those that are watching online, I thank you, first of all, that you don't beat us up with your word about your word. And, and if anything that have, I've said today would even remotely feel that way, God, I pray you would just pull that out of what we remember from the day. I believe this, God, that you inspire us with your word. You're the kind of, you're the kind of God, when you speak, we want to listen. We sang about it earlier. We're available, God. And so I'm asking that you would reignite our hearts, God, for your word, that we would be people who are marked by a love for your word. God, so many things are popping in my head. I think about Mary who just said, whatever he tells you, do it. And that's when the water got turned to wine. When Mary was approached by the angel about delivering Jesus, and her response was, May it be done to me according to your word. God, I'm just asking that you would ignite some supernatural movement in our church where we would just be a yes people to your word. To the parts that we love and to the parts that we struggle with. That our first response would always be, what do you say, God? Not what do I think about what you say or what do I wish you said, but what did you say? That we would be like the Bereans in the Bible who heard Paul talk and then went and searched the scriptures to make sure that what he said was true. As a pastor named Paul, I pray that you would do that in our church. Man, that we would have people that would dig in the scriptures to make sure that what is said is true. God, that we would find your word to be like honey to our soul. 
For those that are repenting right now, and that's a good thing, God. Repentance is not a bad word. I thank you that when we confess our sins, you're faithful. You're just. You forgive us. You cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I'm asking that you would impart to them right now a, a desire to engage again. I pray the next time today that they open up you version, that they would see a plan immediately that jumps out to them that they could engage with. And I thank you that as you pour your word into them, as they eat that word, God, that you're going to lead us to places that we need your word for. We have hidden our word, your word in our hearts that we would not sin against you. And I pray that you would help us to do it, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.